0: and socks filled with cream and candy rocks oh Oh, potatoes potatoes and molasses molasses.
1: fuck did you just voluntarily join in a (laughs) sing-along oh sir i know i was resistant to watching over the garden wall since your halloween fair can be how do you say suspect but it was just delightful so somber and full of ennui just like a russian novel for the eyes huh I guess. There's also a lot of singing frogs and shit. Yes. Haunting. Like a a fairy tale that Dostoevsky would write. (laughs) A dreamscape. A tapestry upon which to project our own psyche. It is exactly what I would expect to find behind the curtain of the collective unconscious or at the doorway between our world and the next. Huh. I liked the hats. I liked the hats too, a great deal. Start the show. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that just the way?
0: Hi friends at home, I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard,
1: and welcome to season three. And I'm Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spocky, and first officer, and I really did like the hats. Just a reminder to listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not
0: mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Well
1: said, sir. Each season. Yeah. And again, here on this maiden voyage of season three. Oh, we made it. We sure did. And, uh, you know, being as it's 2020, nothing is a given.
0: Nothing, nothing is for certain. <laughs> is for Everything certain. is, nothing is given freely in 2020. No, or in the land over the garden wall. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm so oh. excited um, because
1: you had never watched this before. Mm-hmm. And I really, going into it, I was like, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel, but I really did want to like it because I know how much you like it. Um. <laughs> and so I was really quite delighted when I turned it on, how much from like the word go, I, I I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved that it dropped you in in medias race. I loved the really authentic depiction between these siblings, these half siblings. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that like, they really, they really felt like children. Like sometimes I feel like, and I, I mean, I think more or less adventure time is guilty of this in many ways. So of course I love adventure time. And there was definitely some crossover in terms of, creators and artisans on that show and creators and artisans of this particular show sometimes adventure time falls into the trap of the very precocious child that clearly is an adult and was written Mm -hmm. by an adult or adults who aren't really sure how to write children but these children felt like real children and i really appreciated that
0: yeah i i one of the things that i love is that Wirt, the the <laughs> character voiced by Elijah Wood. He's a teenager and he is so experiencing yes. that teenage ennui
2: mm-hmm.
0: where, you know, sometimes he'll just say something that I that sounded so much like a poem I would have written in the 10th grade, you
1: know? <laughs> that makes me think of his mixtape that he makes of him reciting poetry and playing the clarinet (laughs) and I I loved at the very end when Sarah shows him the tape and and they're like let's listen to it together and he's like yeah but maybe we need to like work up to this (laughs) and I was like good insight where Elijah Wood, because I don't think that starting off with that would maybe get you where you want to go.
0: Yeah, and it was just—it was so beautiful that she, that she said she doesn't have a tape player. Yes, because we're like we're not sure what no. the the modern day part is like. Mm-hmm. What modern day it's supposed to be? Yep. And you know, you you realize that Wert is just a little bit retro. Yeah, you know, he's a little bit of a hipster. Uh-huh. Um. And it reminded me of myself um, when I first met my partner Uh in in late 2000, and I made him
1: a mixtape. Oh, I did not know that. I thought you were going to say it reminded you of the mini-discs, which came later.
0: No, that came later. No, I made him a mixtape, and he was like, I can't play this. Was he ever able to play it? No, I had to learn how to burn CDs which was not something I had ever done before Oh,
2: you're my angel. You're my angel.
0: Uh, you learned to
1: burn CDs and then for him
0: and then I made a mixed CD but I definitely I definitely made him a mixtape and he was like I, I like th- that was me I had that experience he was like I can't play this Aww. So
1: Wirt really <laughs> hit home for you.
0: He did, yeah. Wirt definitely. Aww. Wirt and I have some commonalities. <laughs> of course, in two thousand, I was not in in the tenth grade. I no. was, I was grown.
1: You were well, <laughs> I mean, like you were you were grown-ish, uh, which I don't mean mm-hmm. to like refer to uh, the the TV show, though. Not a bad comparison, but more what I mean to speak to is that like. Though you were not a teen, your brain was still developing. Yeah, fair. You you were still young.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was in my 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. (laughs) So, um, friends at home, if you have not watched Over the Garden Wall, we have just thoroughly spoiled it
1: for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe we should have led with this, but like, this is not an episode to listen to if you haven't seen Over the Garden Wall. (laughs) (laughs) It it just. I, I. I don't think it's really going to make a lot of sense unless you watch it. And it's it's a very short watch. Like, each episode is, what, something like 11 to 15 minutes long?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's, it's similar to Steven Universe mm-hmm. that
0: way. Yeah. Short little eps, mm-hmm. and it's only 10 eps long yeah. in total. So
1: mm-hmm. you can watch it like a movie. You can. And it's really, I think it's very hard for just American TV shows in general to strike a balance between, like, well, they don't, it's not even between two things. It's just they have a very hard time not doing too much. hmm Perhaps the best example of this is The Simpsons, which should have been over just so many years ago, but it's still still oh, there. Oh,
0: no. Kyle, don't listen. Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song, don't I'm listen. I'm sorry, Kyle. And
1: neither should your fiancé, Kat. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean, if for nothing else, think of the people who have to cite that television show.
0: as i did
1: recently and i wrote i wrote a note i wrote a note to our copy editor team and i said hi i don't want to list all the executive producers for the simpsons because it's there's so many at this point because it's been on for so many years (laughs) i was like i'm just listing the first five and can we just call it a day there uh we i don't know what the editorial team will come back with (laughs) (laughs) they're like no we need all 50 (gasps) oh god I mean, if if that's what they want, then that's what I'll that's what I'll give them because uh, I won the battle to switch to APA citations. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the captain and I have written a book, and we are in the copy editing phase, and that is why mm-hmm. we fell down on our social media earlier this week because yeah we we had what we thought were some reasonable expectations about what copy editing would look like, and those were wrong. <laughs> we were- and so we just like had to change our whole lives over the last like three weeks and if we weren't in session or sleeping we were basically doing copy edits but guess what the book is so much better
0: oh it was already real good and now it's
1: real real good yes it's so much better i don't i don't think that we would have made ourselves go through all of it if we hadn't had to and so i agree with you i think it is absolutely for the best, that we had to go back through it. Mm-hmm. But it was, just, it was just not what we had anticipated.
0: No, it was a shittily wrapped a, gift. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of shittily wrapped gifts, <laughs> ellipses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, over the Garden Wall is a beautiful example of a shittily wrapped gift. Say more. Yeah, it, it's a shittily wrapped gift for Wurt and Greg. Um, I mean, I think especially, you no, know, for both of them, I was going to say a shilly wrapped gift more for Wirt than Greg, but Greg gets to benefit from it, mm-hmm. which is, Wirt is really not a great big brother. He has not accepted Greg as his little brother. I see you disagreeing over there, so I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll give you some time in a minute. Um, but like, it, it took this experience to really have... Have we appreciating the the entity that is Greg as more than just this annoyance, but as, you know, this other human that he wants to have in his life as chosen family.
1: Yes. I I initially, yes, you were reading my facial expression correctly, but now that you have completed your thought journey, told in words, um, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I resoundingly agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. I think it is part of the journey that they're on. This co-hero brotherly journey is to learn is to discover like to answer the question like would we choose each other?
2: Mhm.
1: Yeah. Which arguably is maybe more of a present question for them because they're from a blended family. Um mm-hmm. they're half they're half siblings. And I think they're step siblings. I, no, I think they're half siblings. I think it's in one of the Are one, half one of the songs. Like okay. where it sings that. I think when they're in the tavern and b- b- oh, before My <laughs> Mom married your dad. <laughs> and then Yep. Yeah, and then she had you. And it's like when they think he's a romantic lead, but before they figure out that he's the pilgrim, which I also really love. <laughs> um <laughs> You're the, Oh God, you're the lover, and then that little old man sings him a song about and a sound, his voice sounds like <clears> this. I love that. And then like the whole town was so excited because like they had something to do. Everybody had a role that they could fulfill. And this, you know, mm-hmm. this is sort of off the beaten path a little bit. Well, it's not. It's more like a tertiary point here. But I thought the show as a whole did a really good job of exploring the concept of rules, roles and boundaries, roles in particular, and how roles mm-hmm. impact how you understand your place in community and how you make those connections and when they go to the tavern it's all these people and they have their roles and they don't understand these two brothers when they're just like i'm my name i'm not my role and they're like whoa no (laughs) what are you talking what are you talking about what do you do and then also it's clear that like everybody's in the tavern because like there's not a need for their role and then they get so excited about the possibility of wart's wedding because they could all have something to do Yes. So I agree. I think part of their co-hero's journey is figuring out, do they choose each other? How do they relate to each other? The thing I was reacting to was that one of the pieces I did really like about their sibling dynamic. And I think this probably just goes alongside with what you're saying is that I liked that the show let them both be like messy, like, Mm. and that it allowed them to be age appropriate. Like Wirt's behavior is so age appropriate for a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And Gregory's like just like random sort of like lawless child of the woods. (laughs) You know, like he's the child that clearly both parents were like, we are tired of parenting. We are done Mm -hmm. trying to do that. You are on your own in most ways, Gregory. (laughs) <laughs> and so then, like, Gregory does what, like, younger siblings, um, especially the youngest sibling in that position often does, is, like, they attach to whatever older sibling is kind of around them. And he is attached to Wort. Like, he very much, like, tries to connect with Wert as if Wert were, like, sort of the third parent in a way. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that, by and large, it doesn't feel like the story is trying to say, like, that's right, Wert, you should, like, grow up and be your baby brother's parent because like that's not developmentally appropriate no, that's not true and Mm-mm. that's not right it's more that the story is saying like hey you don't have to be his parent but like could you like find a way to like be kinder to him
0: right <laughs> could, you, could you care a little more about whether he's wandering off yeah. in the woods where there's a beast <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes mm-hmm.
0: yeah well and and he's you know it it's not explicitly stated but it does seem as though you know Wirt blames greg for change in his life
1: oh interesting yeah i think that's you know because he,
0: he, you know, he said a number of times like this is your fault you were goofing off again you you know yeah this was you this was you this was you mm-hmm. um And the, the subtext that I was reading is like, this is all your fault. All Mm. my pain, all my feelings, Mm. all my, you know, all my family distress. It's because of you. Mm. And I mean, this is actually pretty common in families, especially blended families. Oh, yes. That the, that the young child, uh, who is the product of the of the union that was perhaps Mm -hmm. didn't feel like a blessing. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. It was like, and now and now you. And especially if that kid, you know, especially if that kid is getting special treatment or different treatment, Mm -hmm. you know, as you were saying, Greg is like the the lawless child of the woods.
1: (laughs) And my guess is word had rules. Oh, gosh, yeah, because he's so neurotic. Mm -hmm. The way he's so (laughs) meticulous about things, and he he has such attention to detail and order. And, of course, uh, Melanie Linsky's Bluebird is giving him, like for the first half of the story, just like giving him a lot of crap for always doing (laughs) what he's told. But like to Mm -hmm. your point, like that is very much like that classic elder, probably first child of whatever mm-hmm. his original family dynamic was, where, like, so much attention was laser-focused on him. So many messages were given to him, like, you must do this, you must do these things. And Gregory doesn't have that. but Gregory does have us a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. And I could see maybe part of it being resentful, maybe, of that.
0: hmm Yeah. Why do you get to just wander the neighborhood?
1: Mm-hmm. It's so easy for you to connect what? with people. Why is it so hard for me to connect with people?
0: Oh, oh, that's that's somewhere my head hadn't gone, but I I like that interpretation. Yeah. Cuz Greg does just I mean, he's just likable.
1: He is. He's so great. He's
0: He's likable, he's personable. Mm-hmm. Like when when he um out in the out in the modern day, quote unquote, real world. Yep. When he's He's done some chore for old lady, what's her name? And she's like, don't call me old lady. He's like, okay, young man, which I just, oh, fuck. I, I just love that. Too.
1: Love that. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm like, it's just charming. You got to imagine that old
1: lady, what's her name is like, oh, Greg. Oh, Greg. And just, <laughs> oh, you know, deeply sighing. Yes. And like those little details, like how random Greg was about his candy trail and that he kept giving things <laughs> different names yeah it was so that just felt so like quintessential small human I Mm -hmm. loved that touch and you know I also like probably really loved it because I was like that as a kid I was always like changing Mm. things names I really loved nicknames like Mm -hmm. even now as an adult our producer my partner always sort of like teases me when like we get a new pet I get like really into like what are we going to name them and like the weirder the better because I like I like that reaction from people (laughs) And I remember liking it as a kid, too. Like, that was a way to, like, get sort of, like, funny adult attention. hmm
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, your your dog's name is Maranim. Right. I can only imagine <laughs> that random people on the street, when they're like, oh, what a sweet puppy, what's her name? You're like, Marinim. they're like... <gasps> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we went through a period where I got like really tired of trying to like sound it out for people. So then I would just, we would just like change, we would, we would tell them a different name that wasn't her name. So Like for a while we told people that her name was Mary. One of our neighbors called her like Magdalene for almost a year. We didn't, Magda- we didn't correct her. <laughs> um, we also for a while called her, told people that her name was Banjo. <laughs> She looks
0: like a banjo. Right?
1: And her most recent nickname that I don't think we've told to anyone, but we do call her this in the elevator, so it's possible that people think that it's her name is we call her Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> is she a vampire hunter? That's kind of our running joke that she's the she's Guillermo from what we do in the shadows. <laughs> Cause she's a the, she is very much like the defender of the home.
0: Yeah, I uh this is unrelated. But I I got so tired of people not being able to pronounce my name um, that I just, I used to call myself Sam a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, especially at places like coffee shops and shit, like where somebody's sure. asking for a name,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like if you want a table at a restaurant, like when this was, this is all like when that shit was possible. Right. right? Of course. Um, You know. They'd they'd be like, Chai Latte for Sam. Like, that's me. Because you know what? That's
1: pronounceable.
0: Nobody's (laughs) going to fuck
1: that up. I mean, it's so sad that Justine is that difficult of a name for people to pronounce. But indeed it is. It really is. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's better than it used to be. Because there,
0: I mean, I have now met like five Justines in my life. Whereas when I was a child,
1: I had never met any. Right. Not, and, I, I imagine, fairly similar to Wirt. I don't think of a lot of humans that are named Wirt. Yeah,
0: I don't. I wonder what Wirt is short for. Worther's Originals?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just makes me think of Warren and Worthington III from the X-Men. Oh, Worthington. Oh, maybe
0: it's Worthington. <laughs> maybe it's Worthington. I'd go by Wirt too. Yeah,
1: I would, too. But also, Worthington feels, like, very fitting for, for Wirt. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. So, so their their time in in the woods mm. was a shittily wrapped gift, at least for their relationship. Yes. And it seems like for for their personal growth as well. This was a this was a hero's journey for both. It was.
1: And it was. And I appreciated that it was for both of them. That it didn't. Mm-hmm. um The story didn't sort of like demand that one be the focus over the other. And they, I think, they mm-hmm. do a nice sort of like humorous riff on that in the that tavern scene when they decide that, like, Wurt is the pilgrim. So they sort of, mm-hmm. like, create this, like, architect for him, and then the story sort of, like, bats it down, because it's not, they're not doing the, the totally traditional thing here with Over the Garden Wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there are lots of heroes on journeys, right? Like, the, the woodsman, he's clearly on a journey. <laughs> he is on a journey and he's been on a journey and as much as like the bluebird character kind of bugged me which we may or may not get into she was on a hero's journey Hmm. yeah it's actually
0: let's go there for a second because mm-hmm. i i was interested when you texted me earlier and said she bugged you and i was like let's not talk about it right now let's save it for the podcast <laughs> um because i remember the first time i watched this mm-hmm. i was also bothered by beatrice the bluebird yeah um but upon rewatching, mm. I really had a lot more compassion and interest in Beatrice the Bluebird, because mm-hmm. I think I was much more like, because cause then you know what her story is. And so I was a little bit more invested in her hero's journey. Mm-hmm. What what was
1: happening for you? Well, and I, I wonder, my hunch is that when I rewatch it, I will have a similar experience. Not, mm-hmm. And not just because you've now like sort of like primed my mindset to do that pattern matching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because part of what irritated me about her, there were two big things. The first is that for those of you who are really into like indie dramas of the aughts, Melanie Linsky, the actress who voices Beatrice the Bluebird, is in many of those. And so her voice was so recognizable to me that it immediately mm-hmm. took me out of the uh, story and the show. Because I was okay. like, you don't belong here. You are a sad, it, you know, emotionally middle-aged, but still very much in their 30s, wannabe photographer who's living in a large house and begins an affair with a 20-year-old. What show was that? I don't remember anymore. Um, But if I remember it, I will say it later. Otherwise, folks, I'll Google it and put it in the liner notes for those of you who are curious. Um, But like, yeah, that's what I kept thinking. I was like, you are in the wrong show, Melanie Linsky. And it was just really disorienting for me. And then the other thing that bothered me about her, and it, it made a little more sense once you found out that she was just turned into a bluebird, is that In the first couple of eps before you know her story, she's also not acting like a bluebird. Sure. She has this role of doing this sort of like Joss Whedon postmodern sort of like almost Xander role of being of like being the stand in for the audience and sort of commenting Mm -hmm. on the action. Mm -hmm. And while that was sort of cute and fun. Back in Buffy, when it started, when it was like sort of new. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. new to me anymore. And if anything, it feels kind of overused. And I was, so I was disappointed that that was happening with Beatrice, the bluebird. Because what I really wanted is I really wanted her to like commit to being a bluebird. I wanted to know like, what are the family dynamics of bluebirds? because we were getting that in microcosm early on like we had the huntsman and his old thing with his lamp and maybe his daughter we had this like family of choice but family of origin blended family situation with the two brothers you have Mm -hmm. like whatever's happening for like the pumpkin skeleton family community (laughs) and then we had melanie linsky the bluebird who was not she was not she wasn't portraying being portrayed as an authentic bluebird <laughs> from her own unique family. Wow. Yeah. I spent a lot of time no, thinking I mean, about this.
0: No, but <laughs> I mean, now that you've named that, I think that's probably what bothered me the first time I watched it. Okay. So I was like, why aren't you bluebirdy? Right. I'm not being very bluebirdy. No. Mm-mm. It's almost as if you aren't a
1: bluebird. Ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. And then they did that, and I was only like, okay. Because by then I had so I had thought about it so much and I had convinced myself that it would have been better in my own fan fiction adaptation, which is that she was very bluebird And remember that mm-hmm. scene where she's trying to get Greg to leave Wurt? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that would make sense with birds. Because birds, you have, like, you are hatched in the nest, you know your siblings for a while, and then you just fly away and you never see them again. So... That would have, like, her point to him would, him would be like, listen, you're with your family for a while and then you never see him again. That's totally normal. That's what bluebirds do. Mm. And I was like, oh, I would have loved that angle. And it would have added to this, like, blended family. Are we going to choose each other? But they went in a different direction with Beatrice. And ultimately, I need to find a way to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think if they'd had another season, if they'd had another 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. They could have spent more time exploring uh blue 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 birdism.
1: <laughs> Maybe. But I, I think ultimately they wanted to go in a different direction. Yeah. And and I, I, I do respect their choices, even if I disagree with them. Hmm. <laughs> and I did I did like her more at the end. Like the final scene with her. Mm-hmm. Where, when they're all and I love that like inexplicably every family is from a different genre and time period and so yeah, she's, I I she's in this like Jane Austen house <laughs> <laughs> with period hair and her mom makes the joke about eating your dirt I I mm-hmm. really liked that like then I was like oh okay you make sense to me now what I love about that family is that they just
0: forgive her yeah like it it is absolutely it it was a consequence of Beatrice's actions that her entire family was turned into bluebirds and they harbor no resentment. They make a joke about it. They're like, "What are you going to do? Turn us into bluebirds again?" <laughs> Which is probably huh. probably doesn't feel great to to Beatrice, but it
1: it could be so much uglier, you know. It could and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that there is somewhat of a theme even though we don't ever see Wharton Greg's parents and I mean certainly mm-hmm. they don't just based solely on the the two of them clearly there were there were some things that were missed needs that were not met <laughs> but on the whole I do appreciate that by and large the parents are acting like parents and I mean that in the very traditional like salmonutan hierarchy of the family hmm That parents are, uh, parents are at the top of the hierarchical pyramid, so they're in charge of um, making decisions for the family. They are in charge of, like, guiding and helping and supporting. And it's not appropriate for siblings to shift up and be on the same level as parents.
2: Mm-hmm
1: arguably like that oh like that can shift like once kids grow up and become full-fledged adults but even then there's some negotiating that needs to happen right and that there's also very much that idea that it is it is appropriate and to be expected and now I'm pulling from from Naj that like Naj. that parents are going to give more than their children are there's not mm-hmm. that same Equ- like equal reciprocity and it shouldn't be because they're kids kids need more and the parents job is to do what they need to do to provide a lot of that unconditional love support and affection and i really appreciated circling all the way back around that it did seem like parents parents weren't asking any of the kids to like grow up and be better for me Mm-mm. no kids are gonna mess up mm-hmm yeah
0: Like her, her mom was kind
1: of like, "Of course you became, of course you messed up and turned us into bluebirds, honey."
0: Yeah, right. Because in this, in the universe we live in, Mm -hmm. that's what messing up. That's what happens when you mess up
1: over the garden wall. It is.
0: Yeah, you might, you might get the whole family turned into bluebirds, and that's just part of this. Is part of being a parent.
1: This is part of being in a family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Yep, just eat your dirt.
0: Sometimes you're gonna have to go talk to a witch and get some magic scissors. Like this is just you this is just part of growing up, mm-hmm. and it's brutal, uh, isn't it? <laughs> um, what I what I loved as we're talking about like the the nurturance of children, mm-hmm. I really got the feeling that that Greg is a nurtured child because of how he took care of his frog. Oh hmm yeah you know he just he had a very good sense of what it means to be attached and he how to care for frog that's a great point and to be attuned to frog's needs
1: i love when he goes <laughs> off with death and he's like "Work. take care of what did he call him at that point take care of gregory jr because he keeps just changing the frog's name <laughs> I think my favorite name for the frog was George Washington. Second only <laughs> um, and the, the 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 what would be like the runner up was Kitty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and 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 the woodsman is like give that frog a proper name. <gasps> like this is important. Important that this frog have a proper name, which you find out later like frogs are an important part of over the garden wall society.
1: And not only should they have names, they should have clothes. Right, right. That's true. And then inexplicably, George Washington sings that beautiful haunting song.
0: (laughs) And he's offered a record contract, but he decides to stay with the boys.
1: Oh, I did not catch that part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's offered a record
0: contract. and And Greg kind of, like, accepts that whatever Frog's name was at that time, was moving on and he he was ready to go. And then, and then Frog, instead of staying where he was getting clothes mm-hmm. and a record contract, he decided to stay with the boys.
1: Wow. That is an excellent point. Like, Gregory, I mean, there were some things that he needed that he was not getting, but he was getting that secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And we know that because he knew how to... Attach and let go. Right, he wasn't like frog, frog,
0: frog. You can't, you can't do mm-hmm. this. You can't leave me. No, you know, right. It was not anxious attachment.
1: It was secure attachment. Secure attachment. He was like, "I love you, and I support you. And if what you want is to wear clothes and take this record contract, then that's what I want for you." <laughs> oh, but frog was like, "No,
0: I want to come with you," and then. <laughs> <laughs> And frog, frog was always cared for in the best way possible. The, mm-hmm, the Gregory knew how. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, like Wirt, He's the, Greg's going to cover Wurt in leaves. He's going to cover himself in leaves, and he's going to put one leaf over Frog.
1: That was really cute. For warmth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for warmth. Yeah, they had such nice touches there, and that too, like, not that the leaves would necessarily be warm, but. If you're a kid in the Midwest, like, that re- that made me think of, like, when I was a kid and I would, you know, you'd, like, make a bed of leaves. You'd, like, bundle in there. Was it warm? No. No. We did that in Appalachia, too. There you go. Not even just a Midwest thing. Just, like, a fall foliage thing.
0: <laughs> it's a fall foliage thing. I don't know about kids
1: who grew up in the desert. I don't know what you guys did. I guess mm. it wasn't chilly. No. Well, at night, though, maybe you dug holes. I don't know. Friends. <laughs> tweet us <laughs> let us know what did you do uh, to stay warm when you were pretend camping as a child if you lived in the desert <laughs> oh yeah
0: fun fun stories for later <laughs> uh, Oh yeah so there, there was all kinds of great all kinds of great family <laughs> dynamic stuff and mm-hmm. family of choice dynamic stuff yeah and
1: uh, and it more um still some standard hero's journey stuff but done in interesting ways interesting variations mm-hmm. on that melody for sure and yeah. I I don't know enough about cinema to have picked up on all the references but I mean I knew enough to know that there were a ton of references happening which I mm-hmm. always love I love a good illusion even if I can't pick up on it um that wasn't enough to get me through James Joyce but that's a story for another day uh, <laughs> There were a couple references that, like, I was able to pick up on. So the dynamic between The Woodsman and Death really reminded me of that old black and white film, Seventh Seal. Hmm. I don't remember that one. I don't know if you would enjoy it.
0: But I I... like horror movies. Is it a horror movie? Um, it's like a...
1: Sort of. (laughs) it's very old it's very swedish very black and white oh.
0: mm, no M-
1: macabre yeah i'm not hating on the swedes no. i just i mean you loved uh the uh, netflix eurovision i movie, did i love the fire mm-hmm. it's just when
0: <laughs> fire saga fire oh saga God. oops <laughs> um <laughs> it's just you're dying to talk about game of thrones um <laughs> Yeah, I just, the way you're describing it right now makes me feel like, you know, we made the joke at the top of the show how this was a Russian novel for the eyes. Like, the way you're describing Seventh Seal, that feels like a Russian novel for the eyes, and I don't want to watch that.
1: No, and no, and and actually now that you've given voice to that, now I'm going to retract where I was like, I don't, maybe you wouldn't like it, and now I feel pretty certain that you wouldn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It has some amazing visuals, like, I think it does really interesting things with light and shadow, but, like, you could... You could just go on YouTube and watch like a a minute and thirty second clip and and that'll that'll get you covered,
0: yeah, yeah, i yeah, you know that's no. that
1: sounds good, mm-hmm, um, and then I did it had definitely had some like Miyazaki flourishes, so like mm-hmm. I know we talked about at the top of the hour before we we hit we got going here that auntie Whispers and adelaide of the forest reminded us of Yubaba and i'm gonna i'm gonna say it wrong. Zaniba? Zaniba? Zaniba. Zaniba. All right, there we mm-hmm. go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were, you were very close. Yes! And, and I only just discovered mm-hmm. that Auntie Whispers is voiced by Tim Curry.
1: I loved that. I loved seeing that in the credits. That was perfect. That sparked perfect. so much
0: joy for me. I'm just picturing him in the recording booth being Auntie Whispers.
1: <laughs> oh, I hadn't pictured that, but now I am. It's sparking a lot of joy that too that like little story i don't remember the her her maidservant's name that like she ends up saving but that too like it went a different way than i thought it was gonna go like it turns out auntie whispers is is really quite nice and cares a great deal for her demonic possessed maidservant and when the boys free her of the demon auntie whispers is like oh no you're gonna leave me and she's like no i won't Mm -hmm. that's very well again kind of variations on this family of choice idea. Yeah, mm.
0: and you know, if we were to go, to go down an attachment road, sure, it it might indicate that Auntie Whispers is experiencing some anxious attachment.
2: Oh, sure, mm.
1: but we don't we don't know the story of Auntie Whispers. No, we don't. We just know the the flash the flash forward. Isn't there a scene with them? They're like having tea together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well at, at the end when we kind of get our you know our view of everybody and what they're doing now yeah they're yep they're still together they're still fine Mm-hmm. it's a wonder that auntie whispers didn't realize she could also use the bell to expel the spirit but you know we don't always see things right in front of us no we don't
1: and initially, when that episode was unfolding, I was wondering if that was going to be sort of the twist that Auntie Whispers was keeping her possessed because mm. she, she didn't want to lose her. Mm-hmm. And certainly there were sort of shadings of that. And that would, you know, we couldn't get through an episode without talking about parts. Perhaps there was a part of Auntie Whispers that did know. <laughs> and that was keeping it hidden from, Auntie, from the consciousness of Auntie Whispers because she didn't want to lose her.
0: This has all been delightful. This, this whole thing is, is full of delightful songs and whimsy and all the things that, you know, I enjoy. Yes. Um, but I wanted to be sure that we talked about what really resonated for you
1: with this whole thing, which was death. <laughs> yes. I mean, there was definitely a part of me that as we were going on uh, today that I was like, maybe we just like, just just set death aside. Um and it, but it probably wouldn't be appropriate to talk about the garden wall and not say a few words about death and we have we've said some words about death but i'm not just referring to the evil the beast spirit that's clearly the personification of death in this tale mm-hmm. i'm also referring to that very interesting cutscene in the sort of like uh like flashback when you see what were the events that led Wirt and greg to be in the land of over the garden wall
0: where mm-hmm. they get
1: inexplicably, there are these train tracks behind this very old graveyard. And I mean, I suppose there are places where that's the case. It did seem a little out of the ordinary that there was like forest, train tracks, gravesite, or graveyard rather, but I digress. That's not super important. (laughs) There is that moment when they're both like right there on the train tracks. And then it cuts in a way that I was like, oh my God, is this actually the show of how they're both dead? Hmm. And this entire journey that they've been on is just like this journey in the underworld. hmm And the show decides that the yes and no, that like, yes, they do. They go into like the abyss to harken back to the traditional hero's journey. They go into the underworld, the Valley of the Dead, but then they come out of it, right? Like they come to mm-hmm. in that pond and then Wurt saves Gregory and all is well.
0: But they were still yeah, very so much. Kind of like a
1: purgatory thing. Uh, not exactly. Because it does. It feels like they go into like death proper. Mm, you know, like purgatory. Death uh, right. Like purgatory <laughs> from a Catholic perspective would be like, it's like the medium place from the good place. You know, like you're not really, you didn't get baptized. Like Socrates is there. The pull from Dante's Inferno. <laughs> so like, you know, you didn't, you couldn't. And like really, I remember as a child when I was trying to read Dante's Inferno, I was like, "That's so unfair that Socrates should be in in Purgatory." Like, Christ wasn't even around then; he couldn't have known him. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. But, what about the other people that were alive before? Right, and that's and and, and and the Catholics were like, and that's why God made Purgatory for all those people, so they're in the medium place forever. <laughs> oh this uh
0: this is really interesting and i want this to be a conversation another time okay beautiful we'll do it
1: um but yes i think (laughs) that they're in death itself and very much it Mm -hmm. feels like they're moving through sort of like the levels of death the labyrinth of death and like spinning ever closer to the beast demise and perhaps many of the other souls that they're encountering are other people who are in this various stages of dying
2: Oh. Mm. Yeah, see it it get it got real dark. It got real dark. Yeah.
1: And I didn't think about it at the time, but um I think it's the Babes in the Wood episode where Gregory still has faith that they'll they'll figure it out and Wirt is like, mm. No, it's not gonna happen. That's when he, he Gregory covers him and himself and uh, oh, I guess Gregory Junior with leaves to keep warm, <laughs> and that there is very and like and so there's that moment where like where Gregory goes to the clouds, no to the to the cloud to the cloud city, it's the, cloud the old city. north wind. Mm-hmm. I feel it has this very celestial vibe. Mm-hmm. The queen could grant him a wish. And I mean, and I suppose to look from the lens of like, they're both dying. What does that mean? Does that mean that like Gregory could ascend? Like he could go Mm. to heaven, but he would mean that he would have to leave his brother behind. Because his brother wasn't ready. His brother wasn't ready. Oh, and he Mm -hmm. didn't. He didn't. I won't leave him. Mm -mm. He won't leave him. No. I mean, instead, he thinks he has to like make this sort of like switcheroo choice, which felt very supernatural. And he was like, no, I'll (laughs) take it from my brother, my old wizened brother who's been through so much. (laughs) Oh, Sam and Dean over the garden wall. (laughs) Over the garden wall. Just variations on a theme.
0: Yeah, and Greg offers himself up to the beast.
1: I didn't totally love the ending for them. I liked parts of it, but it it felt a little bit too Wizard of Oz, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. I didn't
0: mind it. What I liked about it is that there's not that. Like, Mm -hmm. they. there seems to be this awareness that, like, we both know that what we experienced was real. Yeah. Nobody else knows. Sure. But we know that what we experienced is real, and we're not going to pretend that it
1: wasn't. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very valid way to read it. And I think that's probably, I think that's probably there.
0: You know, and like the, uh, what, what did the frog wind up being named? Justin F- Funderburger? Justin Funderburger. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh no, not Justin, Jason. Jason, Jason. Funderburger. Another great J- name. Jason Funderburger. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: still has the Auntie Whispers bell in his tongue. And, like, he glows. Yeah. But, like, there's evidence, mm-hmm. even. That th- was real. That they all experienced what they experienced.
2: Mm-hmm. That's fair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, to me, it didn't feel like, and you were there, and you were there. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I think you're right. You know, it was like, we
1: <laughs> we were in the underworld. <laughs> we were there, and it was wild. But then, Yeah and that's where it it, it it the metaphor of being in the underworld. And and maybe that's like getting closer to why I was a little bit like, "Huh, okay, like it's not bad that we're going with this version, but it meant letting go of the underworld, like going and then having seeing where everybody was and everybody was doing okay." Mhm. Um because it, it it made it especially when Beatrice becomes a human again, it makes it pretty clear that like, well, there were aspects of the underworld happening here, but We're really going, we're really more going with the idea that this was a fantastical place that we were able to access by a near death experience. Which isn't bad. I guess I just, in the spirit of Halloween, wanted something a little bit more macabre.
2: I mean,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I feel ya. Mm -hmm. But. I find this show so spooky in yeah. its weirdness. Agreed. Um, because mm-hmm. it is just bizarre. And yeah. to me, like things that are creepy and cute are are the epitome of I mean, joy for one thing. But also <laughs> like there's just something a little bit creepier about something that's haunted and cute. Like, yes. I can't watch something like Annabelle. No. Like, that's a, that is a doll with a ghost. No, thank you. No, thank And you. like, in Over the Garden Wall, we have all of those, those woodland creatures wearing storybook
1: clothes and playing instruments. And it's like, this is creepy shit. That's a great point. And it's making me think of the, <clears throat> the jack-o'-lanterns, which made me think of the horror movie Midsumner midsummer i'm totally pronouncing it wrong apologies to everyone who worked on that film um but, but that movie's about like a a norse cult that's still going mm. after all these years and that means that they're still sacrificing people and bears oh yeah um so the the whole thing with the jack-o'-lanterns was like really giving me those vibes mm-hmm. but then to your point then it's cute Cause it is cute that they're all hanging out and dancing. It's mm-hmm. creepy, but it's also cute,
0: right? And like mm-hmm. the the grand pumpkin, who's like, "You come into our lands, oh, the grand Nagas and crush the our props, uh,
1: <laughs> and trample our crops." That's right. And Gregory so proudly is like, oh, "We stepped on pumpkins on our way in," and Wirt's like, "Oh my god, no! <laughs> Not everyone wants to securely attach to you, little brother." <laughs> and it seems like the gr- the great pumpkin doesn't want to. Right? No, but then it turns out that they just, you know, they had that very reasonable request of doing some hard labor and digging those graves that they think are their own graves, but it just turns out that they're unearthing these pumpkin's friends. <laughs> also skeletons. Also skeletons.
0: Yeah, like Sh- I oh, just a sheer delight. I- I loved it and it's creepy and it's, it's just,
1: it's yeah. just great. It,
0: it, it has, it has
1: everything. It did. It really did. And now I'm going to bring something up that is more of a, well, maybe not more of a downer, but it is a bit of a downer, but we're talking about death, So here we go. One of the things that really struck me and as I think is striking me more in general in mm-hmm. 2020 is that they do a, they do this like cute cop bit in the penalty oh, episode for the yeah, Halloween they do. Mm-hmm. and the cop is just driving around telling small predominantly white kids you're under arrest for wearing your Halloween costume or like doing random sort mm-hmm. of like fun kid things on Halloween and the joke is like of course you're not arrested because I'm your friendly neighborhood policeman or police person is what I should say I shouldn't assume gender and that, that just doesn't work for me. Mm. That joke. Like, I, I get what the intention was, <clears throat> but it also feels like an intention that comes from a place of, of pretty significant privilege. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that cop is driving around like, no running. Just kidding. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And... You know, when when he comes into the when the cop comes into the graveyard, the,
1: mm-hmm. the seance that they're all doing with Jason Funderburg,
0: <laughs> <laughs> with age appropriate beverages like juice. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> so true.
0: You know, like there was. Uh, hmm. We never find out the
1: the racial identity of
0: Sarah, do we? Oh.
1: Well, we don't, and it does seem like that based on her hands and the mm-hmm. little bits that you can see of her eyes and her makeup that she mm-hmm. is not a white person. Yeah, so she's a person of color. Mhm.
0: And that that might that might speak to why these children had a bigger reaction right. to the police presence.
2: Mhm.
1: True. And and so there's definitely something that felt like it was like on the edges of the writers' consciousnesses mm-hmm. with what they were doing with the police person, but it was mm-hmm. clearly on the edge because it didn't feel as thoughtfully rendered as other parts. Like you, they were, they were making a joke that had kind of an edge to it, but it very very much was played that like yeah, it's just funny and harmless, and it and it's not funny and harmless, and that's part of what makes the joke work. But the rest of that episode. It didn't, it didn't continue to interrogate that such that it was clear to viewers mm-hmm. that they understood that. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. That's legit. It is very much like a Norman Rockwell yeah, type view of police. Part of the reason, well, I suppose the final reason that I wanted us to, to talk about this and name this is that while police brutality is, there's nothing new about it. It's as old as the police force itself. And in many and does predate the police force in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways that we're talking about it, though, as as a collective group of humans in this country mm-hmm. in 2020, it has shifted, and it has been shifting. And so, though something like Ferguson was happening when the show first debuted in 2014, I don't, I don't know what my what my read on the characterization of your friendly neighborhood cop would have been. Mm -hmm. Um, I know what my take on it was now. And it is something that I think is very important as a general rule of thumb to start being more aware and critical of the portrayal of police in our art. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's something that's particularly important for white folks to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so the reason that I'm really highlighting this for listeners is is that this what we're doing right now on this episode is this is an example of um microactivism. Uh microactivism. Microactivism. So using the tenets of activism and anti racism and integrating it in all the different ways that we show up in our lives on this podcast, in the art that we consume. Are we damning over the garden wall? No, but part of loving a piece of art means being aware of its flaws and talking mm-hmm. about those flaws. Because when we do that, we ensure some consciousness awareness, and hopefully, we can bring that into the our lives, our actions, and the art that we create from this point forward. It oh, was beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Mm.
0: Ah, oh, the the last thing that I want to say about Over the Garden Wall is that it just really does feel like you're entering a dream. Yes. It has so many of those, like, dreamlike elements where you're just, mm-hmm. you're just walking and who knows what's going to come around the next corner. <laughs> is it going to be frogs on a, on a steamboat? <laughs> is it going to be showboat frog?
1: Uh... Those showboat rough frogs really connected with you. (laughs) Is it going to be a teacher trying to teach animals how to be students? That that, that Jimmy Brown, that no good Jimmy Brown and that gorilla on the loose. Well, right. That's such a dreamlike quality that there'd be random things that are just totally wouldn't exist in real life, but just taken for granted as like par for the course. Like there's a gorilla, gorilla running around. Mm hmm. Right. And yes, her her beloved Jimmy Brown
0: left her and all she wants to do is teach the the neighborhood <laughs> woodland creatures in clothes and how to play in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, it It is. It's also dreamlike. And I, lo- I just I love that because it, it feels like we are tapping into the collective unconscious.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like Absolutely. if we could just peek behind the curtain and look at the collective unconscious this is what's in there just a bunch
1: of weird shit Mm
0: -hmm. that helps us make sense of the world
1: oh this is fascinating i don't think i'd ever quite made this connection before but this particular collective unconscious as portrayed in over the garden wall Mm -hmm. the forms it takes are created by the gazers so Wirt and gregory Mm -hmm. so it's just if we think of the collective unconscious as like I don't know a well of stuff Mm -hmm. all the archetypes and themes are in there but it doesn't do anything until a sentient entity looks at it
2: Mm -hmm. and then
1: you get this back and forth interplay and co-creation and mirroring based on what's going on for the gazer and maybe Mm -hmm. that's why there are so many frogs because Gregory (gasps) is super into frogs what is happening
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they're frogs and they're pretty teenage girls who are in trouble right Mm -hmm. for
1: wort for wort absolutely
0: um yeah
1: and all kinds of identity questioning Yeah, all kinds of identity questioning, role questioning, Mm -hmm. people separated from family and family members. There's lots of secret keeping. Oh, God, we didn't even get into the secret keeping.
0: But, I mean, if, if Wirt had just told Sarah how he feels, he never would have gone on this adventure, which...
1: I mean, would, would have been a damn shame, but... It would have been a damn shame, yes. That would have been just, like, a one-off episode and not as, not as whimsical or creepy cute. Uh, that
0: sounds like a really funny story idea. <laughs> it's like you take every beloved story and you fix it within one, like, <laughs>
1: chapter. On well, one episode, so Beauty and the Beast, the prince just learns to not be a, a dick. He goes to anger management counseling. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Right and uh Twilight. <laughs> Bella's like, You're a vampire. I want nothing to do with that and she moves back to Florida
1: <laughs> To be it's with her mom. It's too cold and damp here. It's murder on my hair. But Florida's not any better. It's just warm and damp. <laughs> but you know, yeah, no, your point's taken. Oh, it's it's all these characters in solution
0: focused brief therapy. <laughs> And the solution-focused brief therapist is like, why are you, what are you doing engaging in a relationship with a vampire?
1: All I can think of right now is in Sue Kimberg and those videos <laughs> that Ann Ravitch had us watch in during <laughs> graduate school. And I'm imagining in Sue Kimberg. Friends, if you've never seen in Sue Kimberg asking the miracle question, do yourselves a f- favor and... Go on YouTube and search that because I got to believe that some MFT student has uploaded it. And she has such a delivery for like, how did you do that? And imagine a miracle. I'm not doing it justice. So you you do it. You but wake a- up tomorrow and a miracle has happened. <laughs> I'm imagining her like Wirt sitting across from her. <laughs> and she's asking that and poor Wirt would just be so full of anxiety. Mm-hmm. He, just, he wouldn't know how to respond.
0: You wake up tomorrow and a miracle has happened. My Then I don't have a brother
1: and Sarah loves me. I don't know if he would be able to say that because he's keeping the secret from himself. Hmm. And this reminds me of something that our producer said to me years ago, just like out of the blue. He was like, you know what? I think anxiety is a person trying to escape facing what they're actually afraid of. Mm. Hmm. Which I don't think is true all the time, but it's definitely true of Wirt. Like, Wirt is running so hard from the negative, potentially shameful feelings that he has towards his, his younger brother. And he's also mm. running so hard from what part of him wants to do with Sarah. Yeah. And then once
0: he goes and faces real life or death stuff, talking to
1: Sarah, not as big a deal. No, not as big a deal. Really puts... Death can really put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that mixtape is not the worst thing that has happened to her.
1: No. No, and that is, you know, I hadn't really, like, noodled on it until just now, but when we see Wirt in that penultimate ninth episode, he really believes that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Mm-hmm. And they do such a great job of making uh, Jason, Jason Funderburger. <laughs> just such an unintimidating kid, right? <laughs> like, you're looking at him, like, I'm looking at him as an adult, and I'm like, Wirt, like, you are, you are concerned that Jason has something over you. My man, you can play the clarinet. What can Jason do? Right. He's just like, I mean, you're all nerds. Let's yeah, just you're name all that. nerds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, here I was thinking Jason was going to be some like weird football player, but he's not. He's just another nerd who really likes <laughs> to tell ghost stories. And they're not even that great. No, no, they're not. And Sarah seems to genuinely like Wirt. Mm hmm. Yeah, she's like,
0: please come to the party that we're at. Come to the appropriate age juice party that we're having in the cemetery. (laughs) And he's just not picking up on her cues because he doesn't he doesn't believe that there's any possible
1: way that she could feel the way he feels. Oh, he's got he's got that fixed narrative. Mm hmm. Now we're coming full circle back to narrative therapy. He has equated himself with the problem. He thinks wherever he goes, the problem will follow because he's the problem. Mm. And it's and he can't and he he he's so fixated on this. It's become so enmeshed for him. This view of himself as the problem that he's he's missing out on a lot of what's happening right in front of him. Right. And this I mean, we
0: do this every day. All humans do this every day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We have narratives behind everything that we do. We do, and 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 we miss we miss shit. Yeah, but you know, Lil, Lil Greg, he, you know, he's he's operating entirely from self energy. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He doesn't have a big narrative behind shit.
1: No, and, he's very present. And
0: so he's very present. He's just. You know, he's curious and creative and Mm -hmm. he's like, he's like a little self just running around.
1: I mean, I don't know enough about IFS to know how the self works with small children. Small children are mostly self.
2: Okay.
0: Because they don't, they don't have parts yet. They're just self. They're just tiny selves. Yes, it's, yeah, I know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. It was, you know,
1: <laughs> that's uh, it's very appropriate to over the garden wall. You know, it's it's got it's got the light and the dark. Oh. Mhm. Does. Yeah. And I think that Wirt finds more of himself. Mhm. And over the garden wall, he he goes into the collective unconscious. These parts of himself are made they they take corporeal form into these different Mm -hmm. archetypes and he can engage with them and through that process there's some integration for him and he comes out the other side literally carrying his baby brother with him and he's more centered you know he's clearly still some stuff to work on but don't we all huh
0: yeah he he still has his gift from the underworld, which is this this new understanding mm-hmm. of himself and connection to his brother. Yep. And Jason Funderberger,
1: the frog. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And with with those secure attachments, he now has leveled up his skills, and he feels more confident in attempting to initiate some secure attachment with Sarah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I bet she'll really dig
1: his poetry and clarinet. I mean, it seems like she really will. Like she she dressed up as like an undead clown, (laughs) you know, and she also is like the bee mascot for their high school. She it it just seems like they have a lot in common. They have a real solid basis upon which to build their romantic dynamic. Right, right. They're not they're not from different worlds. (laughs) No, this was not that story.
0: So this, this is, is not, not that story.
1: This is not Mary Jane and Peter Parker. This, this was uh, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. <laughs> and that's right, Spider-Man fans. I have staked my claim on the true romance in the Spider-Verse. So, you know, Spider-Man. if you have thoughts, you can, you can tweet me. I'm on, I'm on Twitter now. I'm doing, I'm usually posting about Dragon Age because I'm playing through that. Yeah, it's so exciting to see my, uh, my phone let me know that you're tweeting like whoa. honestly i'm like kind of proud of myself because this is something that we've like you have wanted me to do and i've wanted me to figure out how to do for a while just to kind of sort of like boost our presence go along with the book and it's, mm-hmm. it's happening mm-hmm. yeah and i saw
0: that the band or group or whatever they did uh, like liked
1: my tweet i was so excited i love that band yeah we saw them play live and in person in the before times here in chicago and uh I can't imagine, and they're from Australia, so I can't imagine that they're going to be uh, coming up to the U.S. anytime soon, but maybe one day, <laughs> they will again, and then, then we'll go see them again. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. in, in true over-the-garden-wall fashion, we really went everywhere. We today.
0: did, and that's, I mean, that's the story, and it feels so appropriate for our first app of season three to just kind of Throw a whole
1: bunch of stuff out there like a Jackson Pollock. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like that. And then you know, we'll we'll see where it all lands, we'll we'll get into it in more detail. Clearly we're gonna be spending some time with attachment. That's fun. We haven't done that a lot on the show and mm-hmm. and there's gonna be more IFS because this is a Starship Therapies. <laughs> the Starship Therapies. <laughs> I don't know if that one quite works. no um, I'll, I'll keep it's, workshopping it's, it. it. It's it's no hemispherian I'll no, tell you that much. No, that's a good one.
0: Um we we have talked about this season though. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about games. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spend a little bit more time with play and games. So mm-hmm. look forward to that. a coming. Mm-hmm. Um But as for today, what uh what are we hoping folks will take away from this adventure?
1: Um, I mean, I, what do I hope folks will take away? This is one of those few times where I, I'm like holding myself back from saying, because I feel like we put so much out there Mm -hmm. and I would just want, I would invite folks to just take what worked for you today.
0: Oh, leave the rest
1: because it'll Mm -hmm. be here just simmering in the cauldron of the collective unconscious.
0: Oh, beautiful. Mm. Thank Uh, you.
1: And some of the stuff that we talked about today, if you
0: want to do some more simmering.
1: Yep, I will. I'll throw some stuff out there. All right. So IFS, Collective Unconscious, Hero's Journey, Attachment Theory, Sal Mnuchin, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Structural Family Therapy. We talked a little bit about Naj. What's his therapy called? Is he the contextual guy? Yeah, contextual family therapy. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'll put his full name in the liner notes. I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. I just call him Naj. We're close friends. Insu Kimberg. Insu Kimberg. We did structural, strategic family therapy. No, solution focused. Brief. The three. The three S's. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about secret keeping. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, lots of family and family of choice. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That about does it. That about does it. Okay. Shall we wrap us up? Let's do it. Take us home, Captain. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandy Cat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. If we had to wander through an otherworldly wood, we'd want you there. Join us for our next ep right before Halloween. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and the best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell your friends. Just a reminder that our new book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fan Fiction to Rewrite Your Life, is now available for pre-order from your favorite booksellers. So order yourself a copy, or two, or three, and share the news with your social networks. And as always,
1: live long and, and prosper.
0: Thank you.